0: Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week, Holly Chen, Eli Rubel, and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today.
1: Happy Tuesday. Yeah,
0: Tuesdays are the best days because growing unicorns. Um out 7. I can't even believe it. Thank you everyone for joining. Have Mike Brooks here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Um I would love if you'd give a little intro to the group on just what you're doing today and and a little bit about you.
2: For sure. For sure. Uh friends, thanks so much for having me. I've been here since I think I was at episode 1. Um big fan of the community yes. and, and, and very much appreciate uh you having me on. Um my name is Mike Brooks. I'm the SVP of Revenue here at WeatherBug. I'll talk a little bit about my background, but first, like, what is WeatherBug? WeatherBug is a mobile app. We're based in the U.S., where we, uh, you know, give the best-in-class weather data up to the second to your phone across 15 million users uh, every month. So our business is almost entirely U.S.-based, and it's almost entirely advertising-driven. So we're going to talk about a lot of the functions therein of like. What is the relationship between advertising and growth? Um, and I've been here as SVP for uh, three and a half years now, managing direct sales, programmatic partnerships, business development, um, growth operations with Allen, uh, and and kind of the the go to market and revenue functions of the the org. So that's what I do now. The world I came from was kind of the bigger business of Verizon and AOL and app partnerships. So uh, I started as an analyst at AOL developed into the first like the hire on the mobile app team at AOL. When we were acquired by Verizon, uh, I was uh, kind of dual reporting into both Verizon and AOL, helping partnerships uh, between AOL and Verizon and, and apps who wanted to grow. So my whole job was how can we help apps specifically grow with media and partnership in the marketplace? And then I took those talents to Weatherbug, where I've been for three and a half years. So that's our world is like, we think a lot about advertising. We think a lot about platforms. um, And we think a lot about growth and how to impact it in a a digital world.
1: Amazing, Mike, you know, you learn
2: something new about somebody every day. I did not know (laughs) you started as an analyst. And you sure are outgoing for a guy that started. <laughs> <in animals. laughs> I, I did my master's in econometrics and I was either going to go into finance and like, you know, ride a desk for my whole life or try something crazy like media. And I'm glad, lo- so glad that I did.
0: Yeah, I think you made the right choice, man. Thank you. Yeah. Econometrics. No, thanks. I was an econ major and I think that was like my least favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, awesome. Well, Holly, Mike, where do you guys want to start today? I'm super excited to just have everyone here. So,
2: so I had a topic that I wanted to explore. Uh, Holly, I texted you about it yesterday, and it's kind of like the relationship between these two trends. But do we want to do uh, any other uh, table setting before that, Holly? Uh,
3: that's a great topic. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you have in mind?
2: Absolutely. So, so here's what I would love to, to talk about today. Uh, two big trends that may be related, and I want to explore how. So trend number one is there are very large changes in the platform ecosystem that have started to and will continue to affect historical direct response tactics and marketing. So um, let's call it like media spend led growth may become more challenging it certainly is on the ios side today and we'll talk about what go like why that is and i'll give some background but like that's the first trend is like ios 14 changed the availability of idfa in the ecosystem so your ability as a marketer to find certain users based on third-party ids are, are harder as well as uh, having to use skad network for attribution um, where you don't have idfa so more it's it's harder to be specific on your buying versus where we were maybe two years ago. and it's gonna get worse because what's happening with Google and um, the privacy sandbox, which we believe will be reflected in mobile app, is going to make this entire industry of like media buying for direct response harder. So that's trend one, right? It's like these platform things are happening, and this is what's happening to media. Trend two is like, this eruption in the past nine months that I've seen of like product led growth roles and teams and structures at companies. So obviously, you know historically you could go with the sales led growth strategy or sales and marketing um, product led growth, which is what I consider you know this group of people to be, has caught on even more so in the last nine months. And the question that I want to kind of explore with the crew is, Are those related? Like what happens long term with media buying? Is there, is there a world where we are seeing talent literally move in the economy from a a, a team that may have been like two thirds media buying a couple of years ago to one that is like maybe 20% media buying as a growth team in the next five years? So talking about like growth team structure, talking about what, what the big platform changes are going to be. But like, are these two things connected and what is the future of, of media buying and the relationship between media buying and growth? That, that's what I want to dive into. Where do we start?
0: Holly, where do you want to start? I feel like 100%, I would love to start on like how just, you know, obviously iOS, I think that's like a super hot topic for everyone that we want to know, like what, what can we expect? Because I think it's traditionally not necessarily like a guaranteed input output, historically for media buying, but generally, especially with experience coupled to that, you can kind of gauge, you know, if we do so much, here's what our return will be. And I think with a lot of these changes coming up, that isn't the case so much anymore. And so I think a lot of people are freaking out where, yeah, like media buying is, you know, two thirds of the whole role, like, and now we can't really put all of our eggs in that basket. And so what are the things that we turn to, which product-led growth is something. And then also just, you know what are the things that we can do to work around it too?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I can also take a minute. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Holly, if you were going to chime in there, but I can also take a minute and dive into like what's happening in yeah. iOS 14 and like why it's impacting our business. Yes. Um, so so we can do that too. But Holly, was there something you wanted to add to that?
0: I think Holly's but, internet is a little bit... I think
3: bit... it's super interesting what you noticed uh, about the trend. I, th- I think uh, at one point I was asking... Similar questions is, oh, so what's the difference between uh, growth marketing and performance marketing and demand generation? Um, And they're all uh, connected and in certain contexts and companies are used interchangeably. And, and, and with the iOS uh, 14 and, and later updates, you started to see more of a delineation of these different concepts. And with PLG and, uh, and AVM and a type of uh, trend, and, and you started to define these concepts more clearly. Uh, so I love the topic to to dive deeper.
2: Awesome, awesome. So so I'll give the quick iOS background um, and, and a little bit about Google. Um, One question I have for you, Holly, is is as I'm talking, how did you think about this at Slack, right? Like, how did if you were to take a snapshot of what that team looked like and how it was balanced a few years ago versus when you departed? You know, I I would be interested to hear your opinion and if you saw this evolution, um, like what the breakdown was of media buyers versus analysts, perhaps within a growth function. So, um, actually, let me just ask that question straight up. Like, is that something that you saw transition? recently and then a great question of like is this from the pandemic or the great resignation like how do all of these things fit together like what is this this people trend so yeah it's um
3: So um, Slack, uh, think about uh, growth team uh, primarily um, for growth product and then growth marketing. Um, For the growth product team, um, uh, they focus primarily on new user experience, user onboarding, um, retention, engagement, increasing intensity of usage and frequency of usage, as well as monetization, um, so expansion, upgrade, um, and um, later on, uh, also experimented with, um, you know, paid features and how do we surface paid features? Should we think about uh, freemium versus free trial or both? Uh, in in different situations, um, share channels. So so that growth team, growth product team, um, looks at uh, looks at entire growth funnel, um, primarily uh, was a primary focus on retention and monetization. Uh, For the growth marketing team, um, uh, I'd say growth marketing team primarily think about acquisition by the uh, performance marketing team, uh, which uses primarily paid, uh, paid media, as well as SEO and website optimization. Um, And so uh, both performance marketing and website marketing was part of the growth marketing team. Um, And the growth marketing team also um, thinks about retention and monetization. And we actually have um, lifecycle product marketing managers on the growth marketing team also uh, think about, also support the growth product team, as well as um, doing research or sending uh, emails for uh, new users um, and support the monetization upgrade uh, uh, functions. I think the Slack uh, growth team um, is probably one example of um, what I would imagine a full growth team should look like uh, with both product team and marketing team thinking about the entire lifecycle with a slightly different uh, focus. Um, that said, uh, there's a lot of earlier stage uh, companies I advise. Um, that is not <clears throat> typically the case. Um, I definitely have seen um, teams um, just do, um, let's say, SEO or just do paid Media uh, or just do um, Legion. Um and 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 uh, and and demand gen type of activities. Um, so it, yeah, I think it depends on the maturity of the company um, and the the type of um, target audience they're thinking about.
2: Awesome, awesome. Thank you. And and, and I think after, uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about how we structure the growth team at WeatherBug, and we're privileged to have two of the three of them on the call. So uh, you know, we're uh, this the team was zero two years ago. To today, having a couple different appendages. So would love to, to talk through that piece a little bit. Um, once we get through the like, what's going on with iOS story, right? Yeah. So, like, are we at that mm-hmm. portion of the, of yeah. the, the, the story today? Okay. Um, so, like, what, like, what's actually happening with iOS in June of 2020? WWDC Apple announced with iOS 14 last year again that, uh, this new framework called App Tracking Transparency. That's like the meat of it. We'll talk about some other things. But mostly, it's this idea of ATT. So ATT is a new framework that is opt-in that governs the idea of tracking within the iOS app ecosystem. So tracking is defined as sharing data between two companies. And if you want to do that, you need consent. And if you want to get consent, you have to do it through the Apple prompt the Apple prompt is an opt-in function. And, you know, generally we expect opt-in functions to opt you in around 20% and opt-out functions to opt out around 80% or, or opt out around 20% as well. Like that's kind of what we're seeing. So the question is like, what is the impact of this change? It's really the ability to surface this IDFA or this identifier uh, that Apple and the Apple ecosystem uses for, um, targeting and attribution are kind of the two major use cases. So why is this a big deal in growth? Both of those things are important, right? Like targeting, how can I take data that, you know, two years ago I could have used, whereas now I can't, because it will only scale across ATT. It will only scale across opt-ins. And also how do you attribute? How do you know that I spent a dollar and made a dollar ten? right? In the app ecosystem, actually, where I met Holly for the first time was at a, a mobile marketing partner conference, Um that entire world is kind of a question mark now without the input of the device ID. So the the technical <clears> function is iOS fourteen took out the IDFA by making it opt in. So you know weather bugs numbers are you know we'll say in the twenty five percent range is what kind of what we expected of being opted in, um, and that has been uh, that has been the story. So like that's the growth side. If you think about WeatherBug as an advertising business, we make money from those targeted ads coming onto our site. Yeah. So if if you know eighty five percent of our users or seventy five percent of our users can't be targeted that way, we lose out that upside, and we, we've seen that we've we've lost out already since you know it really became bigger like July first of this year. But yeah. the revenue impact we expected on the iOS CPM monetization has happened. Yeah. So it's 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 a crazy story what's happened in iOS and and we, again we'll get into like what what's around it but but it's been absolutely wild.
0: Yeah, my perspective on this is much like honestly coming more from like a digital marketing performance marketing and like demand gen background is the real like you said the real issue is the tracking and attribution that this brings to light. And so, obviously, knowing that like advertising is part of your service at WeatherBug, um, I wonder how many people are pulling out. So, let's say I've been a WeatherBug partner for the last five years. Um, I've always seen great success, great return from using your ad- advertising outlets. Want to be a partner, but now that I can't track it, I'm pulling out, like not spending, right? And so, I think in some ways, and this is probably like. All growth marketers out there are like cringy right now. But at what point does this really change marketing, right? Like, because if you know that something has worked, are you going to just stop doing it because now you can't prove that it's working? Um, and I think that's honestly going to end up making us all better marketers at the end because, you know, yeah. Anyway, so that's that like be the more less... creative. That's a yeah. great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and not just rely on like you know, well, here's the input, here's the output. And it brings back like the art of marketing where like, and then also how is this going to affect, you know, KPIs, right? Are we going to just breed a new set that determines success outside of just, you know, the CPMs of everything or the CPAs of everything? Um, Yeah. Hey, Holly. (laughs) Sorry. I I just moved to
3: a new Airbnb and my internet is not, uh, is a little bit choppy today. Um, totally fine fingers crossed (laughs) do you see (laughs) me okay
2: you're sideways i'm
0: sideways
2: (laughs) you're great holly but you're sideways there you go perfect
0: (laughs) the angle is fantastic right yeah
2: Um, Um, so so karina one one point i wanted to add there is like we saw this in the short term like even though we saw the cpms and the demand run away a little bit from ios in the short term it did come to android so, from kind of June first until even just a couple of days ago, the CPMs were like Black Friday levels because so much wow. demand was moving over into that side of the world that is attributable. So the other thing is like what's going to be the force function that's going to make people care because now a lot of marketers are just running away from iOS in the short term, but Android's coming right like yeah. we're super confident that something not necessarily similar but something enormous is going to happen in Uh, the Android app ecosystem, we expect it to mirror what they're going to do on the privacy sandbox on web, but Mm -hmm. like that's going to create new ecosystems and new technologies needed. And you know, it's not an opt-in world, but it's a modeled world where like all of the real data is kind of scrubbed out. So you kind of have, end up having two different ecosystems in the future, like an iOS opt-in and an Android like sandbox but, you know, like, so so because of that, like, that's not a long-term answer, like throwing your money into Android. We joked about it a year ago that it actually happened. I can't believe it's still happening. But like at some point that that runs out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Holly, I would love your, I know you missed this piece, but basically my point was like, you know, the iOS, iOS 14 opt-in has really changed our ability to track and attribute things. But so for example, for Michael, it was like, if Michael, sorry, my husband's saying Michael, so I'm always calling you Michael. You're like, don't call me Michael. Um, For Mike. um, If I've been a weather bug partner for the last five years, because it's been a really successful channel for me, all of a sudden iOS 14 comes out and now I can't attribute it or track it. I'm just going to stop using it. Like, I don't think that that's the best move. I think just because we can't track and attribute something, I think it'll force us to do marketing differently. Um, And to be a little bit more creative, like Mike said, but I'd love Holly, like your, your side of that.
3: I actually, I'm curious. Um, So I've, I've heard different ranges of how CPA have increased on iOS. Uh, It ranges from like 15% to 20%. And someone said 50%. uh, What, what have you seen?
2: So I have the CPM numbers. Alan might have the CPA numbers. Alan, have you done any studies uh, or, or looked lately at, at what's happened with iOS CPMs or uh, the CPIs since June? You're muted. I really don't have anything specific other than, you know, my understanding is that they apparently have gone up, right? I mean, there's this, there's this perception versus reality thing as well that, well, you, you, the tracking's not as good, but you might actually still be getting the users, and you don't even know it because they're being attributed to organic or whatever the case may be. So while it looks like CPA has gone up, maybe it maybe it actually hasn't. Now, we didn't do that much uh, uh, iOS acquisition previously, so we don't really have a benchmark to really measure against effectively outside of search ads. Um, so I don't have anything specific to offer I'm yeah, certainly at the same yeah. scale, too.
3: Yeah, that that's the challenge. I think a lot of companies are are facing. They're because of the lack of. they they're less opportunity to track than the trackable ones seems more expensive, um, and because most companies haven't really done any incrementality study or um, a multi-touch attribution model, um, they couldn't. Tell whether that was because of iOS or or not. So that's that 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 has been the biggest challenge, I think, for at least for the for the acquisition team.
2: So you mentioned MTA. Is is multi touch attribution dead by all of this? Because the way MTA works, and you think about like the OG Convertros and and folks who built these enormous pixel based businesses that would try and track as much as what's going on in the world. And give you as close to an economic like linear regression of like your media spend by putting in as many inputs that you can. So like, what do you know about like the the tracking that's happening in your connected TV world and that's happening in mobile and that's happening in out of home and putting that all in the same system? Is that dead now with these changes? Like that's something that I haven't I haven't even considered what the future of that that type, because it's now it's harder to track things. So even though it's more needed than ever. I feel like we're further away from it than ever versus like you used to have 70% of the inputs and made assumptions about 30 now we're probably at 40% of the inputs if we can not include digital stuff from cookies right
3: um it, exactly that's a uh, that uh, that's one of the many challenges so for uh for MTA I don't think it's um totally dead um you can still track A a bunch of the stuff, Um, especially if you are in the uh, in the Google ecosystem, or um, if you have uh, the um, uh, uh, like ad server to like you know, if you serve up your Floodlight tags, you can still track a lot of your programmatic display um, impressions. You can still stitch um, a lot of the things together, and because Google is such a big player. Uh, and, you know, like the, if the, ad, the, the, the impressions are served through, um, the, uh, the Google campaign manager, ad server, et you can still track a lot of the things. Um, uh, Facebook has always been a challenge to stitch together. Um, it was never like we weren't able to do impression level. Um, attribution anyways a few years ago. Um, but um, click level, um, if you use that, you can still, you can still use it. Um, so I think uh, more of the attribution, besides the uh, the Google uh, like impression level uh, uh, floodlight tracking, um, a lot of the attribution is click-based uh, now. Um, uh, and, uh, uh that that is harder um, but uh, you can um if that uh, that user um, have um, signed up um, afterwards you can still use their email address or other um, other identifier to stick to things together uh, that that requires <laughs> higher level of um, data analytics ability to to do that stitching um so, yeah, that's the, I think that's the point where um, data scientists are becoming more and more <laughs> popular, important, critical, <laughs> uh, and a good data scientist can, can do a lot of
2: the, 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 the work for, for the team. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and one thing I wanted to, to piggyback off of there is you talked about, like, the idea of stitching together. I want to call it Natalie's question. Yeah. Uh, and this may be a little bit technical, but it's about in the attribution world can attribution be done independently from ad ID using an attribution platform ID? Natalie, to, to be more specific, are we talking about like a Kochava produced ID or are we talking about like self attributing networks within Facebook, Google, Snapchat, et cetera?
1: Kochava uh, in this example. So I can see that it, it can be done. But it's not, solved, uh, it's not solving the performance marketing agency issues with uh, targeting. A resource for advertiser.
2: So I would I would push a little bit there and 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 say that I wonder how much of that is based on probabilistic IDs, which I don't know what the long term uh, opportunity is there. And this is a, a conversation we as a team uh, have to have with Kochava and the greater industry. But I don't know if they're going to be able to provide as much help as they think they are because as soon as we talk about Facebook or Google or Apple, you working with our data, it starts as a, and they're the publisher, it starts to cross that line where it becomes tracking. And I don't think that, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily think that the MMPs creating an ID and depending on what goes in it, but it's most likely revolved around fingerprinting, which in, in the past is what they used ex- instead of a device ID. I don't know. I don't know if that's a sustainable answer yet. Like Coachaba may sell it as one, and Apps Flyer and the and the whole squad might. Um, but I, I would push back on like that selling prop that's being uh, brought and uh, that's being brought to me too. But I challenge it a little bit as to like what's the role of like like can an ID really get around it even for attribution? I'm I'm just very skeptical.
1: It seems this like one. you thinking that this approach might violate what the IS Apple. Once it's achieved with
2: at Correct, correct. There's like an attribution loophole, but it's not advertising attribution. So in le- maybe they're going for that route, but otherwise I think it's, um, you know, it's still early days and that product will evolve, to put it nicely. Um,
0: I, I also think a good like cross-section, and of course I'll always bring it back to like the abstract view of this has to do with like a maturity within the org too. So I think Holly, we're like, Data science are a fact. Data scientists are an option, (laughs) or like even having like delineation between growth marketing and performance marketing, and even demand gen is much more of like a mature org. I think this is really also like a big question for some of the earlier stage companies because their orgs aren't as matured and they don't have as much money to play around with. And so there's this question of like, we want to get into this market. We want to do some paid and drive some of the acquisition through that, but we not may, may not be able to either, you know, because of this obstacle or just because we don't have the team um, to support that type of attribution. Mm-hmm. Like it really is more of a blind play, but I don't think that that means that that's not something that people should be doing. I think There's a lot of opportunity in there because how many people are going to shy away from the channels they can't attribute to, which to Alan's point, like the CPA might on paper be high, but is it actually going to be lower because there's less people, you know, bidding? Yeah, I
3: typically recommend MTA if you only when you reach a certain spend level, okay. if you are only spending, you know, 100K or whatever, like then that that's not worth it. Yeah. Uh, of the effort of the like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like your volume would just not justify the, um, the, the the thing and you can you can, you know, like you already have all those ad blockers and you know there's a bunch of trans, uh, transactions that are not attributed uh, correctly and maybe just like a take a percentage um, when you actually do give credit to your to your paid media. Um, I, I would say only after if you are spending like, a, I don't know, like 500K per month, mm-hmm. probably is starting to warrant uh, thinking about it. Uh, M- Michael, what what do you think?
2: So, I if we're talking about like what the minimum, like the barrier to entry is, I would put it higher. When I think <laughs> about the people I've seen most successful deploy MTA, there is a lot of Fortune one hundred. So I've seen Walmart do it well. I've seen um, historically like big autos do it well. But I think that it's one of those things where it was a luxury in the past, and unless unless a product comes out to make it more accessible, I I wonder, you know, I think it's not cheap. I wonder, uh, I I would have said it's, I would say like 20 million a year, at least, or 2025, like, like maybe twice what you were saying for the companies that I've seen really be successful and allocate a couple hundred grand towards just this model of attribution. Uh, I, I think it tends to be, you know, maybe like a half step behind that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you also need need that volume to justify uh, doing
2: this. And you have to be spending in all those places, right? You don't need it if you're just doing search.
3: Yeah, like, yeah. You're you, don't have multi, search. you don't have multi-touches. <laughs> you do? only have one. Yeah, if you have one
2: touch.
3: One touch. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so, uh, you know, one of the other, uh, to your point earlier, Holly, about like Google and what are the privileges going to be of the future, one of the undercurrents I wanted to bring up is like the role of first party data. So, you know, what Google can do, it, you still can't use Google data, Google can't do, use your data, but it can help you bring to market your own data. And both in a programmatic and a direct monetization world, that's where I think a lot of the opportunity is, is like a little bit of a shift uh, of ad tech in that direction. But I wanted to kind of underline when people talk about why, is, why are there these privileges within Google it's because it tends to encompass like structures of your first party data. So they're better, like the stuff that they can build around is a hundred percent transparent to you versus companies you don't have as deep an integration with. So I would say I would, I would keep an eye on like that, that structure underneath it. Like it's your data that they're allowing you to access and execute on. And I think technically, and I'm like maybe a little bit over my skis here, but a click, converts a cookie from third party to first party so that's why click attribution and first party stuff is easier to come by um because it's not going to require the third party cookie because it converts to first party that's the extent of my ad like ad ops knowledge but that's generally the answer that comes to my head uh, at the end of that yeah
3: yeah because you cookie them in like on your website now that so they they become the first party
2: yeah Mm
0: -hmm. i think So to one of the questions, and I think Natalie and Mike, this was something you brought up at the beginning was like, are these changes or obstacles going to fuel product-led growth? Um, And I actually think yes, but I also think this is going to fuel more like community-led growth. Like you see a lot of companies that are like buying, you know, other media companies, or they're trying to build some type of media arm within themselves. And you see that even like in B2B side, like whether it's small scale, large scale, but I think finding ways that are community driven to build your own community to get that first party data basically is how people are trying to work around it. So I think it'll also build PLG motion, but community led feels like it'll be stronger.
2: Are, are you thinking about like ad tech structures like CVS and Walmart and th- that have been been built up lately when it comes to like community led growth or like build like capitalizing on their audience? Like is is audience led growth a similar way to think about it?
0: Yeah, and I think my experience is gonna be less in like the B2C side, but in smaller scale on the B2B side of things. Like you see people who are trying to build, you know, communities or like Slack communities of these similar, you know, people who are gonna be the right audience, but then also potential customers. And like, how do we give so much value, create an audience, With value and then capture first-party data to then convert, and I feel like it's much more well received from the customer and buyer journey perspective, um, and just yeah, gonna be smarter. So I think altogether, like some people are like freaking out about iOS and all of these changes, but I think naturally it's just gonna push all of us to be better and actually remember to think about the buyer from like a creative aspect again.
3: What are some community-led uh, growth tactics you've seen companies? Is it like primarily establishing your own like user Slack, or like having influencers creating videos or like a content for you? What are some of the things you've seen? Yeah.
0: So uh, the most, the easiest, and most prominent that I've seen is the Slack community. And the way that they build that is they either bring, you know, like a couple of their customers to be a part of that community, plus them, you know, evangelists in the space and then influencers. And then you just distribute value like their events or their conversations that are happening that are valuable to the audience. Um, so that's one way. Another way I've seen it happen is through, yeah, like the creating like a library of either videos or tools or a learning, you know, portal or like modules. Right. So creating a library of, you know, here are classes or here are videos on how to make you better at your job or whatever, you know, it's dependent on the audience or, you know, the prospect customer and it's all free. I think it goes back to like the ungating your content model, but just in a dist- different distribution tactic.
2: I know, I know a couple of folks on the call have a connection here, but as you're, you're talking, that sounds kind of like Miro. Is this something that you think Miro is doing a good job of? Nat- Natalie, I think about you know the way that you've been able to engage in that community. Is that a good example to think of, a company that's doing that well?
1: Yeah, it's a good story. Um, Elena, who was a regional growth uh, person with Miro, uh, she shared you know, the product-led loops that they were thinking in terms of going from B2C to B2B space. And at the point when she left, Uh, They started doing the community-based program, and I was the first um, witness of that. So the original uh, approach was, let's have a network of influencers. Let's find influencers first, and let's engage them. So they built a micro-community, and we will incentivize the influencers to stick with the mirror brand now they expanded the network in the past few years and they able to expand the marketing team only focusing on the community aspects uh they started with one now we have five they have five and they restructured the network of influencers to further incentivize the influencers to build broader network this
0: also brings yeah like segues
1: perfectly into like
0: especially in the you know influencer marketing in the b2c space is like tried and true and like seeing that sift into the b2b space in some ways um i think is just starting out and people are just figuring out how to incorporate that as almost like a new channel but yeah holly interested to see i know you have a lot of like influencer experience
3: i, I think the user the user focused community is interesting, especially like Mike, you were, you were talking about PLG, right? So like, uh, because PLG is so focused on end user, so the end user community is almost uh, a requirement uh, to have. The, the challenge a lot of people have is, okay, we have a Slack community, but like well, how do we, how do we measure the impact, uh, mm-hmm. coming back, you know, to some kind of, uh, attribution model. Okay. Like we, we have these people talking, you know, we like sometimes we need to invest in a community manager, like, uh, until like the community can can self-sustain. And you still need to like uh, a mod, a, a moderate um, to to a large extent and, and organize events. Um, and some of these community are more engagement focused. It's like people who've already signed up. Um, and uh, how much do you, yeah, like how, how, how do you use the community to like for, is it for acquisition as well? or is it primarily for engagement um, and how, yeah, so like I, th- I think user community is probably primarily for engagement. Um, and uh, if it's a more of an influencer program, uh, you know, like the partner stack of the world, then it's more for acquisition play. Um, it's yet to be seen how effective that is. Uh, some of these influencers started to get more expensive like it reminded me of early days of like youtube at, at, at the beginning it's like oh the influencers love to work with brands and like it's super cheap to to get acquisition from there but then like <laughs> like you have to spend you start to spend hundreds of thousands to work with influencer if if not like millions um and it's getting getting more expensive as well um that said b2b influencers is uh, uh, is not a huge is not huge yet so we probably still need more b2b influencers yeah start with <laughs> uh, then figure out how to actually do that um yeah Be- because b2b is more specialized. Uh, it's not like B2C influencer, one influencer can cater to already a, a segment of demographics. It's like, oh, like third, like 30 year olds or like 18 year olds and college students and like one person can influence a large number of people to, to, to be valuable. And now B2B influencers sometimes they're they're very specific, okay, like this is the IT influencer or is this the uh, you know, productivity tool influencer? It's a, it, it's more more um, yeah more widespread I think yeah
2: so so, so one kind of follow up question there along the, the influencer route is how do you think about things like customer advisory boards or um, at general advisory boards like it's it's more structured than a community it's more exclusive than a community um, it it shares a lot of the same maybe it's in the same family and it's something we've talked about at WeatherBug you know Alan we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. You know and, and we said, "Hey, maybe that's even a marketing cost, uh, which I think it is. How do you think about those and their uh, effectiveness and you know where they rank compared to the other types of executions you could do?" <laughs>
3: Hey, I'm super curious about that myself. Um, I know more mature companies typically have a, a more like a customer advisory board, but it's more on the executive level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like uh, CXOs, and and you uh, you organize those like advisory boards uh, versus like a really user focused advisory board. Um, I haven't seen a good example so far. Uh, what what ha- what have you seen, Karina or Mike? Yeah, I feel like
0: just to echo your same sentiment, I feel like the customer advisory boards that I have experienced have been more at the exec level and feel more helpful if you have a big enterprise motion, because that's where really that type of word of mouth comes into play, right? You want to hear from an, an another enterprise executive that this product is the one for them. Um, so, but I think, yeah, like that is word of mouth is, we all know like the best channel and so ways, but it's also, the trickiest because it's not a straight line to measure. Um, and you can't always track that, you know, Hey, Holly, I had a conversation with you and told you that you should use this product because it's the best and I've had the best experience. Right. Cause that's all offline. Um, but like, like you said, like trying to replicate that at the user level, um, especially for some of these PLG companies, like, which almost feels like building a community And your influencers are a combination who are also part of the community alongside the users, right? So it's just like a melting pot of those three segments.
2: Yeah. The only place I've seen it successful so far is AOL when it wasn't only executives. And it was still senior folks, but it was Mm -hmm. also a sales function. Mm -hmm. So I saw customer advisory boards where it was a verticalized sales structure and they were selling media to... Autos, retail, restaurants, CPG, etc., um, and it was meant to bring together buyers of a certain type to talk with each other in a, in, a, in an environment that AOL sponsored. It led to a lot of revenue. Like I, I am very confident that that is an ROI positive execution, but it was for sales growth, like media sales growth. Mm-hmm. Does that scale the same way for driving new users? Not in like a B two C world of WeatherBug with our with like the arpu's we have from advertising, right? So it only works in the B2B sales world for us today, or like, I think considering it from the B2C, it's, you know, it doesn't scale. Yeah.
3: Yeah, like I've, I've seen like Notion, for example, have the ambassador program or consultant program uh, that's like mm, mm, uh, as a reseller or like a try to, like uh, it, it borders between like reseller uh, and and there uh, there's another program for, for more of a user community. Um, and uh, like Loom, for example, is also working on some uh, like community program Um I, I feel like, and then a couple of other clients are talking about it, are thinking about it and planning about it. So I think this is one of those things that it's, you, you see early signs of uh, user groups and communities. Uh, everyone are trying to figure out <laughs> how to do it. And there's some like new uh, new tools also coming out to, uh, to manage that. Um, we haven't seen like, oh, this is the way to do it, sort of like super successful examples uh, just yet, Um, except for, you know, like people talk about Notion, people talk about like Slack community and stuff. Uh, So I think it's still emerging. Um, That's a really interesting area to invest in.
2: Yeah, and to Natalie's point on the uh, the chat, um, it is today considered a a product process. Mm -hmm. So we talk about like how, Media and marketing teams, or and go to market teams, are working more with products. I, I agree with you, Natalie. That that's probably a good answer as to like where has this been. It's historically been, you know, I don't want to say siloed in the in the the product world, but like it kind of has been. It's been a, it's been a a product objective with potentially opportunity to uh, provide upside in the media go to market world.
0: Yeah, and I think the the differentiation is going to come from like the expected outcome or the goal of the group, right? I think in the product world, the goal is feedback and to make the product better where, so Holly, to your point, like these are people who are already in the product or already engaged. I think the community led, you know, focus is people who aren't even engaged yet, who aren't even in the product yet. And the real outcome is to deliver value, right? And to show whether, you know, you're showing how your product is better or just showing how, your product knows your audience better, right, and can deliver that value in whether that's content or product or any of those ways. And I think, yeah, the goal of the group is what changes. Well said.
3: Yeah. So going back to our original yeah. initial topic, <laughs> 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 what do you think, uh, Michael? What would be your?
2: Well, well, sorry, I, I missed the I missed the, the transition. What yeah, yeah.
3: Like you, you were, you were thinking about like the iOS 14 coming out, right? Like, and then you have the PLG motion and you were thinking about like, oh, whether these two have connections. Um, and we explored very things about like attribution model, about community. Um, what's your almost like a summary? of the the relationship between these two and where where they're
2: going so i would look at weatherbugs growth team where we have two on the product side and one on the revenue and like the media spend side so it's an entire team of three balanced kind of two to one product to like growth marketing we'll say although everybody shares responsibility I'm I'm not a tinfoil hat guy when it comes to iOS, but I think it has 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 had a significant impact. I I think that in the future the ratio will only continue to increase in favor of product folks. Like in the future, do I see us with a team of like four media buyers and four product and analysts? No. I think it could be six and two the next time we talk instead of two and one uh right now. So I think in anticipation of what the world looks like, we have um, started off with a a two-to-one ratio. And I think as that continues, Alan's problems become almost unsolvable by himself, right? Like the problems that a a growth marketer faces now are a real mixture of owned and operated and like external technical. So I don't think an external growth marketer can be successful without a lot of internal reasoning, support, and analysis. So I only see that ratio going more in favor. So that, that's kind of what, what, I, what I would guess um, is we started two to one, and we're going to only continue more getting heavier on the product side. Um, but to say that it, it's because of iOS, maybe not yet. But I think that when Android comes along, and that's a much bigger world because it's web that's going to make this even more of a drastic difference.
3: When do you think Google is going to jump on this?
2: End of uh, what is it 2023 is when they or, or Q1 2023 I think was what they said like they're going to they're going to cut it off at the end of 2022. So Q1 2023 is the brave new world. I think they're gonna, I think they're going to cut it off, I think if you if you compare what Google's doing to what Apple did, they've already put in 10 times more effort into making the community ready for a transition. So I already feel more prepared about an Android world that hasn't been announced than an iOS world that we've known for a year and a half now, which is which is kind of an interesting place for us to be. But yeah, that's, that's where I'd say that we are.
0: Awesome. All right. I know we're coming up on time, but Holly, do you have one, one last question?
3: Uh, one last question. To that extent of having more product folks um, in the, in the mi- mix of growth, uh, do you think chief growth officer is going to be a thing?
2: One of the things I have noticed in my business career so far is the closer you are to the generation of the revenue, the more you can help impact a, an organization. And you know, I may be biased because I'm ahead of revenue and that's what I like <laughs> to do. But I think if growth is given revenue responsibilities, then if you're saying you have to grow the company, I think that works. I think if you find a team and say your job is to drive us 2 million installs, the perverse incentives of that world are mind boggling. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the way to do it. But yeah, that's Mm. what I'd say.
3: Then then is the chief growth officer de facto chief revenue officer?
2: It depends on. I mean, they they may be closer to a CMO in some organizations, Uh right? Like I consider it, I think it's by organization, if it includes revenue sales go to market, then yes. Otherwise, what's the difference between a CMO and a chief growth officer? Maybe if you have a huge brand and you have a lot of like brand defense, but Mm -hmm. otherwise, isn't that the role, the role, you know, Holly, as you um, as you take more CMO roles, isn't that the point? Like, it's not, hey, come in and defend. It's hey, come in and continue, and and accelerate this growth. So you're so like it's. I I consider it more synonymous with CMO. So that function will stay, but only like oh, you can only say you're responsible for growth if you cover both.
3: Mm, okay. mm, that's a great perspective. Mike always uh I learned so much from talking to you
2: <laughs> oh friends thanks so much
0: for having me this was awesome. yeah this was an awesome episode I love this so much thank you for joining I really appreciate it excellent yeah,
3: like you added I added so much more like Um, Perspective that we we haven't touched upon before on the on the mobile on the uh, on the actual media side and like making the connection between media and PLG I think that's that's really really good
0: perspective Um, very very insightful so thank you thank you Mike thank Uh,
2: you
0: yes all right y'all we'll see you next week thank you everyone thank you everyone thank you guys have a great week. I'm not